Now to the message. Uh, we're going to be at Luke chapter 2, but a little bit of context. I, wanna, I saw so many parallels with what's going on in the nation of Israel. As we read Luke chapter 2, this is the classic birth narrative of Jesus Christ, our Lord. And what were the Israelites going through? They're heavily taxed. They're taxed heavily to grow Rome's military power so they could secure Rome's military might so they could increase the size of their kingdom. They were oppressed. The Jews were oppressed. And they're struggling as a national identity. They, they haven't had sovereignty for quite some time now. It's one nation after another that's coming to uh, rule over Israel. The people were polarized. That means they're divided. There were conservative Jews, there were uh, religious uh, zealots, there were liberal or secular Jews, and they're, they're all divided. And they did not like the ruling officials. They didn't like King Herod, they didn't like uh, Pilate. They wanted these people out. And racial tensions were high. And as I was just studying about Luke and trying to get a fuller picture, I couldn't help but think of our own nation. I could not help but think of our own nation. Struggle with national pride. And we've seen that with people not wanting to stand up for national anthems and those sort of things in the world. Sports, different tribes, political tribes. Conservative, you know, or liberal. There's different party groups and all that stuff going on. Racial tensions are high. We know this. We've seen this on the news. Mistrust in our leaders, leadership. Threatened to oust our leaders. I mean, it is almost like an exact parallel in many ways. There's, so the point is, there's much to be distracted by during this Christmas season, this Advent season. And the title of the message is called The Simplicity of Christmas. And we don't want to miss the essence of what Christmas is all about. So Luke chapter 2, please rise with me. And we'll go to a very, very familiar narrative. Luke chapter 2, with all that going on that I just talked about with Israel. Verse 1, Now in those days a decree went out from Caesar Augustus that a census be taken of all the inhabited earth. This was the first census taken while Quirinius was governor of Syria. And everyone was on his way to register for the census, each to his own city. Verse 4, Joseph also went up from Galilee from the city of Nazareth to Judea, to the city of David, which is called Bethlehem, because he was of the house and family of David, in order to register along with, it, with Mary, who was engaged to him and was with child. While they were there, the days were completed for her to give birth. And she gave birth to her firstborn son, and she wrapped him in cloths and laid him in a manger, because there was no room for them in the inn. In the same region, there were some shepherds staying out in the fields and keeping watch over their flock by night. And the angel of the Lord suddenly stood before them, and the glory of the Lord shone around them, and they were terribly frightened. Verse 10, but the angel said to them, Do not be afraid, for behold, I bring you good news of great joy, which will be for all the people. For today in the city of David there has been born for you a Savior, who is Christ the Lord. This will be a sign for you. You will find a baby wrapped in cloths and lying in a manger. And suddenly, 
There appeared with the angel a multitude of the heavenly hosts praising God and saying, Glory to God in the highest, and on earth peace among men with whom he is pleased. Let's pray. Father, thank you for your word. I pray, Lord, your spirit will minister your word to our hearts so that we love Jesus more. In Jesus' name, amen. Please have a seat. All these things may be going on in your lives, you know, and corporately we feel it as a nation, but individually, who knows what's going on? But take heart, point number one, we're going to get to it pretty, rather quickly. Jesus is on the throne. Jesus is on the throne. His sovereignty is on display right here from verse one. What is sovereignty? That means he is supreme ruler. He means he's in control of all things. There are no accidents or hiccups, or mistakes in Jesus' economy. Everything happens under his watch. Everything has a purpose. Verse 1, it shows that how all earthly kings are mere pawns in his hands. Verse 1, now in those days a decree went out from Caesar Augustus that a census be taken of all the inhabited earth. Who is Caesar Augustus? This is the most powerful more powerful than our present, most powerful man on the planet at the time. Some of the Caesars were even considered to be gods and worshipped as such. And then what does he order a census? Why did he order a census? Why did he have people come? Is that he wanted to number his subjects. How many subjects did he have in Rome? Why? Just to say these are the number of people? No, so he could tax them. It's about money. It's about taxing them so he could secure... Rome's glory. That's what it was about. And that may be Caesar's agenda, but our Lord had, had his own agenda. And Micah 5.2 it says that Christ, the Messiah, would be born in Bethlehem. 700 years before Jesus was born, God says, my Messiah, my anointed one, will be born in Bethlehem. And in verse 4, it says that Joseph went up from Galilee, from the city of Nazareth to Judea. And to Bethlehem, okay, that's northern Israel. To southern Israel, that's approximately 90 miles. Keep in mind, Joseph is engaged or betrothed to Mary, who's, I don't know, eight, close to nine months pregnant. 90 miles. Not any of us who had expecting wives would travel 90 miles on foot to, to Bethlehem. We wouldn't do that. No cars, no, pay, no great road system. They were poor. So as you see the scene of Mary riding on a donkey, they probably didn't even own a donkey. Maybe somebody loaned them a donkey. We don't know, but there's a good chance she walked a lot of that 90 miles. So Joseph, dutifully as a citizen or, or a subject of Rome, goes to register in Bethlehem where he's supposed to. God had a plan. God shows his sovereign hand. Jesus shows his sovereign hand that he will move kings, the most powerful people on the planet, to get what he needs to get done. And, but I can't help but think the humanness of this. Joseph, okay, he's been under a lot of barrage at home, been called a lot of things. His future wife, Mary, has been called a lot of things. A teenager before being married, pregnant, not a good thing to be dealing with and attacks. So Joseph is thinking, oh, how much worse can he? Now we, got, I gotta, we have to travel to Bethlehem to just register so we could uh, pay taxes to our, our, our emperor? 
Perhaps that's what you're thinking too right now. God, why are these things happening in my life? Why? Why did I not get accepted into that grad school? God, why did I get the promotion? I, I deserve it. It's, I've been working hard. What's wrong with my boss? What's wrong with those admission people? All these things are out of your hands. It's in somebody's hands. It's someone, it's, it's, it's someone at a chair or whoever's in charge of the admissions department to get you into that program. It's up to your boss to promote you. Maybe you have, you've been laid off. Perhaps you're relocated. Our family could relate with that. We're relocated, and it's like, man, it's hard. It's hard. There's no way Joseph could have known the full magnitude of what this meant, though. But he did it, and he trusted the Lord in it. God is sovereign. Brothers and sisters, take heart. Be encouraged. There are no accidents. That boss or that president or that college person is not in control. God is in control. Even if it doesn't make sense, it, I, it probably didn't make sense. I mean, I'm sure Joseph might have had ideas about Micah chapter 5, verse 2, but on the, on, in the natural, it didn't make sense. Like, why do I have to, God, I, I'm doing this for you. I'm being obedient to you. I didn't kick Mary to the curb. I'm taking care of her. I'm trusting that the anointed one is in her womb. You, are you serious? You want us to come down? He did. He did. And sometimes it takes time to see, like, wow, Lord, you are in control. And wow, Lord, you are good. I want to encourage your brothers and sisters. You're going through these things. Pastor Victor was shepherding us through this earlier. If you're going through these hard things, going through hard relational things right now, take heart. There are no accidents in God's economy. God is sovereign. Our Lord is sovereign. And he's so sovereign, we go to point number two, that Jesus, he sends Jesus in the most ordinary way. He didn't have this fiery chariot come down from heaven. He didn't have this incredible party in the middle of Rome. He didn't even use Jerusalem. And in our world today, in, in the world of marketing and in the world that I came from, I kind of understand how some of this works. You would attach yourself to some influential people to get the word out about a product or, or about a, a coming, a, a, a program or whatnot. You know, you would use people like celebrities, wealthy people, industry experts, people in academia, notable people. You attach yourself to these people and make this announcement to give credibility, to give more value to what's coming. Well, God's ways are much more simpler than man's ways. All right, what did God do? What did God do? What did God do? He used the most simple way, something that's common, to wealthy people, educated people, to poor people, to uneducated people, whatever race or nationality you are, a birth of a baby boy. And who did he use? Who did he use? I mean, even Luke, that has the most uh, detailed account of Jesus' birth, is not very detailed. That's even a commentary by our Lord, how simple his method, chosen method was. Who did he choose? He chose Joseph and Mary, a peasant couple from Nazareth. A simple teenager named Mary. Poor. Carp engaged to, to be wedded to a carpenter 
who now has a bad reputation with his family and her family, friends, and village. He also used shepherds in the field nearby, right? We may have a glorified view of shepherds, you know, and they call pastors shepherds, a similar word. But shepherds back then were at the bottom of the social ladder. The shepherds were simple, blue-collar, common folks who took care of the animals. And they were generally uneducated, and they're despised by the religious zealots. Why? Because sheep need seven days a week care. They're violating the Sabbath rules all the time. So they're looked looked down upon. And what what kind of location did did God choose? He chose Bethlehem. He didn't choose a place like New York or L.A. or Paris or something like that. He, He didn't even choose Jerusalem. He didn't even choose Jerusalem. He chose Bethlehem. Simple, sleepy town, six miles from Jerusalem. That's what he chose. What was the venue? When I went to Israel a couple years ago, we went to Bethlehem, now under Palestinian occupation, and, and the people there, and there's early church tradition that believes that Jesus was actually born in a cave, a cave. And that's where they kept the animals. And born probably in a cave, potentially. In a, and laid in the manger. What is a manger? A manger is where the animals fed from. Feeding trough. Can you imagine that? Animals slobbering over this feeding trough. I mean, you, know, you wouldn't even eat off some of your kids' plates after them eating, right? I mean, this is the type of bedding that our Lord had. They laid him in a manger. It sounds romanticized, but it's a manger. It's a feeding trough where animals eat out of. And he was wrapped in cloths, typical. Just wrapped in cloths. I remember when our babies were born, we wrapped them in a blanket, swaddled them, they wrapped in cloths. No royal robes for baby Jesus. Nothing like that. And as baby Jesus will grow, Isaiah 15, uh, uh, 53 says, he had no beauty or majesty, nothing. He was, if he sat amongst us, you wouldn't recognize him. You would not even recognize him. He did not have the it factor. He was just a common-looking guy. Economically, he did not even grow up to own his own home. Never formally educated, never went to universities, never went to, studied under some famous rabbi. And Joseph probably died early, scholars think, because he's never mentioned past these earlier accounts of the gospel. So probably he was raised by a single mom. The simple nature of Christmas. Our Lord chose it to be as simple as can be. And the danger of that is this. What did I just talk to us about? The world teaches us to look at the glitz and the flash and the exciting things, the things that catch our eye. We're trained to be like this by the world. And if we don't take very careful attention, it's easy to miss what Christmas is about. And point number three, some actually miss Christmas. Let's turn with me to verse seven. And she gave birth to her firstborn son. Not only she had other children with Joseph later on, but her firstborn son as a virgin through the power of the Holy Spirit. And she wrapped him in cloths and laid him in a manger, feeding trough. Why? 
Because there was no room for them in the inn. There was no room for them in the inn. There was no room for them in the end. For whatever reason, my mind and my heart was drawn to this word in. I was studying this a ton this week. And uh, in could mean this. It could actually mean uh, in like a, like a hotel, okay, like where you lodge at as you're travel, taking a road trip. Or probably it just means lodging place. Guest room. Guest room. You know, could be a public shelter. But think about it now. Joseph is coming from Nazareth to his hometown in Bethlehem. All right. Israel has a high hospitality culture. It's very similar to Asian culture. When I went back to Wakayama, Japan, a little country town on the coast of Japan, east coast of Japan, our relatives said, you're going to stay with us. Right? And, and, and uh, even if I wanted to, if I stayed in a hotel, it, it might send a message to them. But high hospitality culture, even if they wa- didn't want to, they'd offer that up. Please stay with us. Israel, no different. Going to our Israel trip, high communal culture still to this day. And keep in mind, Joseph and Mary were poor. They're very poor. You know, and Bethlehem's a small, sleepy town. And there was no room for Jesus? Why? Now, whether it's an actual inn or a relative's home, I don't know. That's not where I'm ta- here to just prove to us today. But whoever was running the inn or the home was too distracted by life. I mean, I get it. The census is here. All kinds of Roman officials are just jamming into Bethlehem. All kinds of pilgrims like Joseph and Mary are, are flooding into this tiny little town of Bethlehem to get registered. I can see where life is busy. Or I, my theory is that perhaps Mary and Joseph were dealing with some stigma during that first Christmas time, first Advent time. My guess is this is probably a relative's home. And what, like the scripture says, there's no more room. And news travels fast, right? If you're a family, it's a communal culture. News travel from Nazareth down to Bethlehem. A Joseph is coming and his betrothed wife is pregnant. And they're not married yet, right? That, that, that's, that word travels. Now, could the family have been that heartless as, 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 as Joseph and his future bride shows up and Mary's pregnant? Well, maybe you can't stay with us, with a family, okay? But, you know, you could stay in our garage. You could stay in our garage. I don't know. Regardless of the reason why there was no room, there was no room. Whoever was in charge of running those rooms was distracted minimally to at least see there's a pregnant woman there. Minimally. But think about our brothers. Think about your wives. Think about your daughters. If this type of rumor is being spread and, and, and talked about, do you, would you just stay quiet? That's not your baby? Like, I don't know. What, what would you say? Mary and Joseph had revelation from the Lord that this is the anointed one. Perhaps Joseph said, I know it sounds crazy, but this is the Messiah. From God and my future wife. I'm guessing he offered that up. And I searched through the scriptures and looked through a bunch of commentaries, and there was not much. There wasn't much. But I just put myself in Joseph's shoes there, and you would defend your wife, your future wife. 
You'd at least offer that up. You don't know how crazy it may sound to the people. You'd offer that up. The inn was too crowded for Jesus. Just like the crowded inn, is your heart too crowded for Jesus? It could be. I mean, this was just, and, and these people weren't necessarily, I hate God. These people were, you know, they believe in the God of the Old Testament and they were looking for a coming Messiah. So these people were not like anti-God, but they missed it. Why? They're so busy, either busy with the census and everyday life or busy with dealing with stigma and keeping Joseph and Mary at arm's length. I don't know, but for whatever reason, they missed the first Christmas. They missed the first Christmas. Are we distracted that way? Distracted with good things even. Turn with me to Luke chapter 9. Jesus is a grown man. He's starting his preaching and, and, and his, his ministry. Luke 9, 57. Jesus gives us a couple of things where people actually desire to be followers of Christ. And this is what he says to them. This is what they say. And maybe you're saying, you know what? I, I want to follow Jesus. And is this, is this what our Lord would say to us? Verse 57. As they were going along the road, someone said to him, I will follow you wherever you go. Jesus, knowing his heart, this is his response. Knows what he was distracted by, Jesus. And Jesus said to him, the foxes have holes and the birds of the air have nests. But the Son of Man has nowhere to lay his head. Is, are you ready to put me ahead of your financial security? Are you ready to put it down? Are you ready to put your money where your mouth is in, in, in today's vernacular, today's terms? Are you ready to, are you about that life, Jesus is saying? Jesus is challenging him. Prosperity could be crowding our hearts, our hope of prosperity, hope of, of security. Does this thought control your life? Does this keep you from following Jesus fully? Education, career, retirement, good things. All important things too on top of that. But do you catch yourself saying to close friends and relatives or even in your heart as you're bargaining with the Lord, do you say things or pray things like, I will get serious with you, Jesus, when I graduate. I'm busy right now. It's finals. I'm trying to get into the grad school. I'm trying to set my life up. After I get done with my education, I'll get serious with the Lord. Or we say, I will get serious with you, Jesus, when I'm financially stable. I need, I, I need to, I'm just starting out as an intern. I, I, need to get, I need to get secure first. I need to get my mark down at my job. Or are you saying, perhaps, if you're in this season, I'll get serious with you, Jesus, when I retire. Then I'll have more time. I, then I'll do whatever you want, Lord. If those are the things that pop, resonate in your mind, perhaps our hearts are too crowded with the cares and concerns of being prosperous. Right? Let's go to the next one. This one challenges me, too. Verse 59. And he said to another, follow me. He calls one, hey, follow me. But he said, Lord, permit me to first to go and bury my father. Sounds like a reasonable request. But what did Jesus say? But he said to him, allow the dead to bury their own dead. But as for you, go and proclaim everywhere the kingdom of God. Verse 61, another said, I will follow you, Lord. But first permit me to say goodbye to those at home. 
But Jesus said to him, No one, after putting his hand to the plow and looking back, is fit for the kingdom of God. Is family crowded in your hearts? Something as good as family. Isn't it Christmas about family? It's a special time. But it's not about family even. It's not about even about family. Love your families. Love your wives, your, your, your husbands, your children, your grandchildren. Love them. Love them dearly. But no one must rival Christ in their hearts. Jesus is calling for full allegiance right here, brothers and sisters. Jesus says, I can, you cannot serve two masters. That's in the context of money, but two masters, you either hate one and love the other, you'll serve one and despise the other. You cannot serve two masters. You cannot serve God and family at the same level. Impossible. You're going to choose one. Do you say to yourself, I will follow Jesus when my parents approve? Younger brothers and sisters or friends, do you say that? I'll give my life to Christ when my parents are okay with it. Do you say, I will follow Jesus when my family obligations and commitments are done? Do you say, maybe you're, you're a young adult and you're thinking, well, I'll follow Jesus after I start my family. I'll get wife and kids and then, then we'll, get, we'll be set. Then, then I'm good. Or maybe you have kids and you say, you know what? I got so many commitments. I, I, I got to wait till my kids are graduated before uh, get, taking this too seriously. God knows. God understands. Jesus calls for full devotion to him in no unclear terms. This is not my interpretation. This is just Bible. I'm just, I just read you the text, barely explained it to you. It speaks for itself. He calls for everyone to be disciples or followers of Christ. Disciple is another word for Christian. There is no junior varsity and then I'll, I'll become varsity Christian someday and become a disciple. Disciple and Christian are the same. If you're not a disciple, you're not a Christian. You could be missing Christmas. You could be missing Christmas. And here's a warning for, for us who, who live in the evangelical world, Evergreen SUV. Keep in mind that cave, oftentimes where they built the homes, was either on top of the caves and lived in levels. When it rained, they wouldn't get affected by it, or next to the cave. Why? They would... Like we talked about, it's like a garage. They would park their animals there and let them stay, have some shelter. Think about how close in proximity the people in the inn or the house, the guest house, was to Jesus being born. I mean, just right there. Think how close they were. This wasn't like, all right, 10 miles away. This is right there. It's like the other side of those doors. There's a warning there. The inn, people in the inn or the guest room miss the simplicity of Christmas. They're so close yet so far. Brothers and sisters, we can be regular church attenders. Right? You could be exposed to biblical teaching constantly. You could be raised up in a Christian home. You could be part of a, a Christian school or pr Christian university. You could be even homeschooled. I hear horrific things of some people who are homeschooled, who appear to love the Lord and just walk away, divorce Christ. Not just, just divorce their wives, but divorce Christ. At the end of the day, it's not about these other things. It's about, do you love Christ? That's it. If you love Christ, you capture the essence of what Christmas is about. You will be a disciple. 
You have no choice. You'd be like, wow, who else would I rather follow? Just a little break here. I mean, just to give you a little something in my mind, in my heart, <laughs> just this week, I was excited. I can't lie. It was Christmas Sunday coming. Oh, I'm pretty excited. I'm pretty excited. And I'm in Luke chapter 2, digging in. It's like I had an early start. I was digging in, digging in. And then the thought came from my old coach, you know, that he used to always teach us, you know, like whether it's Super Bowls or this is like my Super Bowl now, or Rose Bowls or anything like that. You don't want to get too cute. Don't make stuff up, okay? And so I was getting really cute and kind of, yeah, this would be kind of an interesting tidbit. And I was like, you know what? I've repented. Forget this. What am I talking about? I want to make sure at the end of Christmas Sunday's sermon that the people have an elevated view of the glory of Christ. This is what this is about. And as we journey into our, and land into our final point here, simply put, all right, God got me right again as I was just studying the text. Give him me. Simply put, Christmas is about God's glory. God's glory. We're going to spend a little bit of time on that here. Verse 13. Read with me if you have your Bibles. What happened after the, after the angel talked to uh, the shepherds in the field? This is what happened. And suddenly, that's how God works often, does he not? Suddenly, there appeared with the angel a multitude of the heavenly hosts, praising God and saying, glory to God in the highest and on earth peace among men with whom he is pleased. Pastor Victor preached on the last week how the heavenly hosts are like angel armies. How many? We don't know, but multitudes, a lot of angel army soldiers, angels are praising God. They appear all of a sudden. They're worshiping God. And I think this is a very key thing as I was just digging into God's glory now, thinking about God's glory. Lord, how can I display and talk about your glory that does some justice to your glory? And I came up with words. I'm looking through my systematic theology books and all kinds of things. And the angels gave me an extra glimpse into the glory of Christ Jesus. And as I was looking and as I was studying about the angels, right now countless of millions of angels in the heavenly realm are worshiping God. Right now, that's what they're doing. So when they appeared in earth over 2,000 years ago, this is no different. They just went from the heavenly realm to the earthly realm. And they're doing exactly that right now. And what does this look like? Let's take a sneak peek into the heavenly realm. Turn with me to Isaiah chapter 6. It's worth it. It's worth it. Let's get into heaven's, heaven's throne room. Let's get a peek behind the veil now. This is serious stuff now. We're going to be elevated to a different place right now. You're literally seeing God in a different place in Isaiah chapter 6. And the angels are there. Maybe the same angels. I don't know. The angels are there though. And I'm going to read this. Just four verses here. In the year of King Uzziah's death, this is a prominent king. He died. I saw the Lord sitting on a throne. He saw the Lord God sitting on a throne. Lofty and exalted. With a train of his robe filling the temple. His presence was just consuming all of heaven. And his throne was high and lifted up. Everything focused on God 
in this vision that Isaiah has. Verse 2, here are the angels. Seraphim, this is a class of angels. They're different classes or types of angels. But seraphim stood above him, who's him? That's God, each having six wings. With two, he covered his face. Which talks about his humility. I cannot look at perfection and the holiness of God. With two, he covered his feet. Meaning, I'm not moving if you tell me to move, God. Meaning, I am submitted to God. And two, he flew. And what were they doing? What were they doing, brothers and sisters? Verse 3, and one called out to another and said, Holy, holy, holy is the Lord of hosts. There's that word again, hosts. The Lord of the angel armies. Holy is he. What does that holiness mean? Holiness is basically the sum of God's attributes, according to R.C. Sproul. The sum of all of his attributes, love, patience, power, omniscience, all of that. Holiness describes that. It's all in one. And the Bible says holy, holy, holy to make sure he's perfectly holy and to make sure that we understand that point. He's completely perfect in all ways. This is our God that's sitting on the throne and these angels are worshiping. How intense is the worship? God is so great God is so grand. God is so holy and perfect that the angels, verse 4, and the foundations of the threshold trembled at the voice of him, these are the angels, who called out while the temple was filling with smoke. The worship was so intense because God is so great that the temple was shaking. Who's the one sitting on the throne? John 12, 41 says, it's Jesus. John, Rick, said that it was Jesus under the power of the Holy Spirit. It is Jesus sitting on the throne. It is the glory of Jesus that Isaiah saw. This is Jesus sitting on the throne. And Jesus comes off the throne now, this is Christmas. Comes off the throne to obey the Father. Yes, Father, your will be done. You have a plan to save our people. Yes, Father, your will be done. He comes off the throne. 2 Corinthians 8 and 9, we studied this a little bit in our stewardship series. He who was rich, the one sitting on that throne, becomes poor, implanted into a peasant girl's womb as a human baby. Back to Luke 2. Back to Luke 2. I pray that you guys are seeing the holiness of God, the greatness of our Lord Jesus Christ through his word. That's all I got. That's all I got. Look too. The heavenly hosts are, are, are praising God, verse 13. I don't know how many of these millions are there. We don't know. Like I said, G, like Luke is very vague on some of these details that we would love to know. We will know someday. And they're simply doing the same thing in verse 14. Glory to God in the highest. They're praising God, but now in the earthly realm. They're doing the same thing. It's not like, okay, it's Christmas time. Let's march up, uh, march up our, our praise now. What they've been doing in eternity, they're doing here on earth. 
What are they glorifying God about? As the plan of God's salvation for his people is unveiled, even to the angels, the angels are like, whoa, I see this rescue plan. How awesome are you, God? And the angels worship. They're worshiping this baby. Now, keep in mind, they're worshiping the one sitting on the throne right now in Isaiah 6. Also, they're worshiping the one sitting on the throne, high and lofty, lifted up. Smoke is filling the temple. And now, they're worshiping a frail little baby in a stinky manger, a feeding trough. They got past all that other stuff. All they could do is see Jesus. <sighs> do you see Jesus too? Forget all the other stuff. Do you see Jesus, the one sitting on the throne, coming to become a man, just to obey the Father? Wow. Verse 14 of Luke chapter 2. Glory to God in the highest and on earth peace among men, the Bible says, with whom he, God, is pleased. In the inn or the guest house, there was no room for Jesus. But guess what, friends, brothers and sisters, the Father has made many rooms in his house. <laughs> By sending his son to earth. That was his way. Nothing flashy. No hype, no gimmicks. More of a peasant girl. What kind of love is this? This is what Christmas is about. And as you think about the Caesars in your life, Caesar called for a census to register the people's allegiance to him. That was a part, big part of the census. You're saying that you will be submitted to me, and you're signing off that you will pay your taxes so that I could keep my kingdom going. You're signing up your allegiance so that Caesar could use you to keep his kingdom going. All right? That's how the world works. It uses you. That's how the world works. You know what I'm talking about. But Jesus calls for your and mine full allegiance. Not to tax me, not to tax you but to give us eternal life. Big difference. The sovereign one came off the throne, came off his throne so that you could take yourself off your throne and have him sit on your throne. He wants all of you. He wants everything that he paid for. As you buy your gifts this Christmas, I know you want to get everything you paid for. No different for the heavenly one, the sovereign one. Verse 10, I'm going to go backwards a little bit, sorry. Verse 10 of Luke 2. But the angel said to him, do not be afraid. Don't be afraid, friends, brothers and sisters. Don't be afraid this Christmas Sunday morning. 
For behold, I bring you good news of great joy, which will be for all people. It doesn't matter if you're rich or poor, American, not American, what ethnicity, educated, uneducated, got a crazy past, got a bad reputation, got a good reputation. It doesn't matter for all people. For today in the city of David, there has been born for you a Savior. Born for you a Savior. Who is this? Who is Christ the Lord? I'm going to finish up with one of my favorite Bible verses, 1 Corinthians 1.18. It says this, For the word of the cross is foolishness or simpleness to those who are perishing. That's a ridiculous message, Pastor. It's too simple. I just got to believe in Christ Jesus as my Lord and Savior, that he did all the work for me, and, and uh, he, just understand how much he loves me? No way. It's too simple. But to us who are being saved, it is the power of God. The simplicity of Christmas may mess some of us up because you may be used to earning stuff. You may be used to having to achieve a certain level of things to receive good things. I, I get that. Some of the world that I used to live in, I get that. I get that. But is this message of Christmas so simple that you're missing it as well? <laughs> Simply trust Christ Jesus as Lord. That's the essence of Christmas. Do not miss the essence of Christmas. Just to end this message here, thank you for the opportunity. What a ridiculous privilege this is. I never take this for granted, brothers and sisters. As long as the Lord has me doing this, I'll do it. I... Someday, I'm going to fast forward to the second advent here coming up. Someday, Jesus is going to come back and, and unveil the full glory. No longer come back as baby Jesus. No longer come back in frail humanity. No, Isaiah 53 will no longer describe him in that way. He's going to unveil himself, and all the universe won't be able to contain his glory. This is the Jesus we preach this is the Jesus that's in the Bible. This is the Jesus we love and adore. This is the Jesus we worship during Christmas time. And here's an interesting fact. December 25th, I don't know, it may or may not be Christmas, actual birthday. A lot of scholars highly doubt that it, it is that day. But I, it's interesting. The greatest figure in all of human history, they don't know his actual birthday exactly. I think our Lord did it that way so that we just don't sit on one day. Every day is Christmas. Christ lives in you. It's Christmas time. Live into that reality. Let's pray. Father, I thank you for this time to preach your word. Thank you for Christmas. Thank you for your word at Luke chapter 2, how simple it is. So, Father, I pray, Lord, that we would not be those who are outsmarting ourselves, trying to figure out, figure this out more. This is what it is. Jesus, you're God. You became a man, lived the perfect life, and you took on the Father's wrath on the cross so that the wrongs that we have done can be forgiven and that we no longer live for ourselves. We live for you, Jesus, as Lord. So, Father, I pray for the brothers and sisters in you who do believe this, who do understand this, who have experienced your amazing love and grace, that they will be encouraged, they will be lifted up from one level of glory to another, one level of your image to another. 
But to all those of us maybe who, who agree to some other version of the gospel, there is no other version that I pray they will repent right now and they will believe in the simplicity of the gospel. They will give their lives to you and let you reign in our hearts. I pray for those in here who've never heard and never been to church. I pray for these. Maybe a family friend or son or daughter brought you here today. I pray for these that they would have the light of the gospel exposed in their hearts. Jesus say, let there be light in their heart so they could become part of you and me. They will believe in the power, the simple message of your son, Jesus Christ, born on Christmas Day. Thank you, Lord. Thank you for loving our church family, your church family here at Evergreen so much. Thank you in Jesus' name, amen.